Welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current topics with leading members of the Bay Area investment community. This week, Tanya Subatang, Membership Manager with CFA Society San Francisco, sits down with Elsie Fletcher, CFA, to discuss her experience sitting on both nonprofit and for-profit boards, how to navigate industry career changes, and tips for those looking to join a board of directors. Hi, good afternoon, Elsie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tanya, thank you so much for asking me. It's a real privilege to be here and speak to our members. Absolutely. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear what you have to say. Thank you. So jumping right in, Elsie, you've been very successful in your career and you've had opportunities to move into different roles in the finance and investment profession. What attributes and skills did you find that were helpful to you um, when you were transitioning in those different positions? Well, you're right, Tanya. I have done several different things in my career and have enjoyed different aspects of this career. Obviously, one of the first criteria that has made me successful in the investment management uh, career is having the CFA charter. Um, I started with uh, an undergrad in science and a master's in finance. And getting the CFA charter was just that stamp of validation to work in the investment arena, which is the portion of finance that I did want to work into. Um, some more personal traits that I think really helped me were uh, communication uh, and public speaking. Uh, at my very first finance job at Electronic Data Systems in Dallas, uh, they had company classes that you could go take. And one, mm. one that I took was public speaking. And you recorded yourself and, and then the group uh, critiqued you. Very helpful. Uncomfortable, but very <laughs> helpful. And if anyone has an experience to do that, or even now with FaceTime, et cetera, just get on and talk to your friends as though you were giving an investment or a formal presentation to two people or 200 people and solicit feedback. It's one of the best things you can do in terms of communicating one-on-one with people, communicating as a public speaker. Mm-hmm. It's not, a, some people are born with the skill, but most people really have to work at it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think this, another thing that I would highly recommend to anyone that wants to be successful in this industry is networking. Mm-hmm. Everyone you come in contact with uh, will at some point may come back around to help you or to hurt you in this in this. Uh, industry. It's a very small industry. We work in it, so we think it encompasses the whole world, but it doesn't. And so I would encourage you to be nice, courteous, mm-hmm. don't always have to see ground, but just to network with as many people as you can. Uh, one of the instances I've talked about before is that uh, there was a man that came to work for me at Bank of America. He was mm-hmm. in the credit risk department. He learned the pension department uh, under me. He got his CFA. And now he's running a major endowment in New York City. In the meantime, he had a stop at Kaiser Permanente here in Oakland, where he was my client when I was a client service representative at Tuckman Grossman. So you never know what side of the table you're going to be sitting on. And so you just want to make sure that you didn't burn some that's now your customer on the other side. <laughs> Such great and advice. <laughs> it, it is. And it was probably learned the hard way. Uh, the other thing I would say is be open-minded. And I would talk, say that about your career opportunities. Uh, you, you go into, I think, this industry thinking, I want to be a portfolio manager. I want to mm-hmm. do this. I want to do that. But uh, as along the way, be open-minded to, you know, uh, detours and jets in the road. 
that may actually lead you in a totally different direction. It reminds me of that movie, Closing Doors. Mm-hmm. You don't get on this train, you get on the next train. And who did you meet on this train that you didn't meet on this train? And so I would say be open-minded. And then um, also I would say get back to this industry. Um, mm-hmm. When you're young in this industry, you will have people that mentor you and help you. And as you go along, get back to the industry. Oh, those are such great advice. And I think that's fairly transparent, not just for the investment and finance profession, right? It could kind of be used oh, just sure. in your journey career in general so mm-hmm. um so many people might not, not know but you're actually very active when it came to cfa society san francisco you are actually served as one of our past president of the board now can you elaborate how your involvement with cfa society san francisco um and you know the various activities that kind of comes with being president has kind of contributed positively into your career and where you are now oh sure um, you know, being president of CFA San Francisco was, was a very much a highlight of my career. And, um, I was very flattered to be elected president at that point. Um, I think being president um, and being on the board, because I'd served on the board for a number of years before that, you, uh, your first thing you need to remember is that it is a member organization and what can we do for our members? And, um, I've always thought a career paths and providing career choices. Um, education in any form or fashion. I know now we're doing Python type things and we're also doing traditional analyst lectures. So uh, for me, I was personally fulfilled by doing that role. Um, I also had the opportunity by being president of CFA San Francisco to participate in larger roles at CFA Institute. Um, I had been a volunteer at Institute for quite a while before that, but um, CFA San Francisco is considered an XL society. It's one of the larger societies in the United States. And uh, there's a lot of prestige with comes with being an XL society board member and also an mm-hmm. XL society member in terms of being able to call on other organizations and it raises the profile. For me personally, it was a great career um, enhancer because you can put that on your resume and it's a highly respected role that they say, you know, CFA San Francisco. It also, you attend a number of functions, whether you're on the board or, or the president, and it just doubles and triples your, your networking abilities, especially with the sponsors that support our activities at CFA San Francisco. Well, I think that if anybody kind of read up on you and, and know he else, you sit in a lot of different boards now for both for nonprofit and for profit. Many obviously would like to get into where you are and, and sit in the options that you have. But unfortunately, they find getting those roles quite difficult. Could you share some advice on how members, particularly on the underrepresented groups like people of color and women could position themselves to serve on these types of boards? Uh, sure, I'd be glad to help with that. Uh, the first thing is that I will echo what you said is that it is very hard to get on these boards. Um, it took me almost three years to get on one of my uh, paid boards. I've, I've been on a number of nonprofit boards throughout my career. Um, I'll speak a little bit to nonprofit boards. I think you do what is uh, what feels good to you. And in my case, I was on the nonprofit board of 
animal rescue groups like Marine Humane. I was on the uh, a nonprofit board for City College of San Francisco because education is one of the issues that I'm very concerned about. So you go with your passion on a nonprofit board. And it really um, is not that hard to get on a nonprofit board. It usually requires donating money as a board member. Um, if, if that is not an option for you, then what you want to do is become a volunteer with that organization. And as you do that, you get to know board members. And they can help maybe make introductions for you. I know with the new um, uh, diversity rules that some boards are leaning toward making advisory boards Mm -hmm. uh, where they don't really vote like a board of directors, but it's an advisory board. Uh, You get a lot of input, but you don't have the financial requirement. And I think that's a good way for uh, people to get involved. Uh, on the for-profit boards, it is really, really hard is all I can tell you. <laughs> um, my two boards came through almost, um, there were networking flukes that I would have never thought would have worked out. And so that's why I can't emphasize enough how important it is to network. Um, I'm on a medical device board and I'm also on a, um, a biotechnology board, both using my financial skills, working with fundraising and cap tables, etc. I find them to be extremely, extremely interesting and providing great growth opportunities. Now, for people that are looking to do this in the next five to 10 years, particularly women, um, there's an organization, and I'm not plugging it because it doesn't cost a lot of money, but it's called How Women Lead here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you can go to their website and you can join their board, uh, leadership board, and that that's a fee. But you don't need to do that. Just go to some of their seminars or webinars as um, they've been doing during COVID. These things cost $25 to $50. Once they get back into in-person you know, meetings, uh, there are a lot of volunteer opportunities you can do for How Women Lead. And they really specialize in serving underserved communities and helping mm. people of color and uh, different diversity candidates get on boards. I mean, every they help everyone, but that is really their specialty. They do have a board readiness class that costs a fraction of what some of, you know, you'll see Stanford board readiness class, $10,000. And I think this one's less than five hundred dollars. So <laughs> look for different groups like that. And not everybody lives uh, in San Francisco that may watch this video, but mm-hmm. uh, look for groups like that. Uh, that you know, and you can find these types of things on LinkedIn. You can find them on Meetup, and look for groups that are you know, consider your affinity groups. And start working a network through that. And you know, we're here in California. We're very lucky because. In 2018, there was SB 826, which mandated uh, any public board had to have one woman on board by the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. Requirements changed after that. They increased depending on the size of the board. Mm-hmm. And then Governor Newsom also enhanced that ruling with AB 979 that said you have to include members from underrepresented communities. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I mean, those are, you can just Google those and it will tell you exactly what who's defined as an underserved community. But the goal is to make boards more diverse, make boards look like your customer base, get out of the group mm-hmm. think of white men, white women, you know, get out of the group think of the people that have traditionally sat on the boards and made those decisions and so it's really trying to be more reflective of who is our population in the United States now. So that is something that's passed in California. Several mm-hmm. other states have passed it. Of course, there are legislative challenges to it. 
Um, I get a list about once a quarter of companies that still don't have women on their boards here in California. <laughs> and they encourage you to write a letter. I just simply turn around and send a resume. <laughs> but, um, you know, that it's, it's, uh, it's very much front and center in the state of California. And there are some other states following suit. So um, I would simply tell you to focus on what you think you want to do, what kind mm-hmm. of board you want to be on. Assess what kind of skills you would bring to that board. Are you bringing financial skills? Are you bringing marketing skills? Um, assess what you've got to offer because not everyone has something to offer to a board. And then start trying to network with people that have similar skills or similar interests to the types of boards that you want to be on. That's such great advice. Um, now, to kind of flip that question a little bit, what advice would you give those um, or what steps do you think boards need to take in order to achieve that diverse members that were, you know, you were, you were talking about earlier? Like, kind of what you said, get rid of that group thing. What do they need to do in order to maybe expand or look for um, the underrepresented or the women? What can boards do? They they uh, can and are changing their recruiting policies. Um, there have been a number of different uh, recruiting firms that have expanded their their database of diversity candidates. Um, they there have been companies that have gotten a mandate from the top, the, the chairman, that this is what we're going to do. So what, what they need, what they're doing is changing their governance uh, mm-hmm. policies. And that trickles down to the composition of the board. And I think you see it happening. I, I get bored. I'm belong to a number of different, primarily women um, board groups, WCD, board next, women of the board group. And when I get <clears throat> board announcements of who's been appointed, it, it's being successful. It really mm-hmm. is. I mean, um, I'm proud of how it's trickled down. Now, Elsie, we, we when- still have a long way to go. We still have a long oh, way to yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> women and everyone. Don't get me wrong, but it's not what it was last year. It's better. Mm. Well, that's good. That's definitely good news. And, you know, always changing and and moving forward. And I think that's what everybody wants is for us to all to kind of see progress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we last spoke, we we really kind of dove in a little bit and I wanted you to talk about it a little bit more was the different mindset because we talked about you're actually also a CIO and a, correct me, a, a co-founder or a, a founder for um, your company, if I'm right. not mistaken. So, so we talked about having different hats because as an advisory board, you, you're kind of, you know, you act differently or you attack certain subjects differently than you say you would be if you were a CIO or a CIO. Um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit for people, who, again, wanting to get into a board and maybe what th- can they expect? And is there a change in kind of how they would have to critically think or um, attack certain subjects? Um, well, that, it's it's a broad question because board work in itself is broad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best, uh, the easiest uh, people to prepare for boards or uh, CPAs and accountants, mm-hmm. uh, audit audit chair, I mean audit uh, professionals, because there's always a need for audit uh, professionals on a board, CPA and audit professionals. So uh, regardless of the business line, mm-hmm. uh, those candidates have an easier path than almost any other path I would know, except maybe being a prior CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, most public, large public boards have traditionally had included a number of uh, working and retired CEOs. 
that is changing in the sense that a working CEO uh, really at some points don't have the time to devote to it. And sometimes his own board is not happy with him holding several seats outside of his own company and feel it's conflicted. Um, but it's it's expanding also with the retired CEO in the sense that there again, you have too many CEOs and you fall into a group thing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being expanded to look at people that have strategy experience, marketing experience, product experience, uh, financial experience. Uh, a, a HR experience, personal mm-hmm. experience, psychology experience, depending on the board, it, the the realm of what uh, these new boards are looking for uh, has really expanded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that it, it really kind of comes down to what's going to be your affinity uh, skill set that you're going to bring to a board. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you can prepare and prepare and prepare. I saw this happen to a friend of mine. She was asked to interview for a board. She listened to the last financial earnings statement. She did this. She did that. She knew all the financial stats and numbers. And the board went to someone that was a friend of somebody else that had, you know, mm-hmm. so you can, you, it, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I still say networking is your largest uh, component of your board search. Um, because there are a lot of prepared people out there. There really yeah. are. The competition for boards is fierce. And so you have to get beyond being prepared. What are some tips you may give somebody that is not very good networking? Because I know a lot of people aren't and, and they find it very difficult to. Like, what are some just tips that you can give them to kind of help them network better? Well, during COVID, it's been very difficult. And I think that people that have trouble networking may have even more trouble now coming out after COVID. But in the old days, I'll say, when we had CFA San Francisco uh, mixers and uh, different programs that we would have in person, that is a great way. Even if you're not comfortable, go sit in the room, ask a question. Some more than likely somebody is going to talk to you at that meeting. Good question or, you know, whatever the answer is. And so just going and being in a room, like they say, the room where it happens in Hamilton, <laughs> but just going and, and being in the room, you're going to be forced to network because mm-hmm. no one is going to let you stand there and not talk to them. So uh, get out and practice. It's all about practice. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the best advice. Whether it's you go to a CFA meeting, whether you go to any other kind of industry meeting, whether you go to any type of neighborhood meeting, community meeting, get out and talk to people. That's You heard her, everybody. Get out. <laughs> yes. Um, so what do you think is the one important thing of all professions should always remember as they progress in their career? Oh, that that uh, the answer to that one for me is their reputation. Um, it's something that once it's marred, it, it's impossible to clean it up and go back. Mm. Um, you know, that that is something that you could just look back and say, did I ever do anything that I think crossed the line? Mm. And uh, some errors are bigger than others. Some errors are better remembered than others. Um, something that I didn't really have to deal with so much in my career is that young people are dealing with now is their social media exposure. Mm-hmm, right. Um, you know, I didn't, when I was hired at my last job, they didn't say, hey, we're going to go look at your Facebook. <laughs> in fact, they said, we'd prefer you not to be on Facebook. And I know some investment management firms have had a rule. 
You can't be on Facebook mm-hmm. or you can have a Twitter account, but it has to have a name that is not associated with this firm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, firms are, are very sensitive about that. And it's not good when, when something negative or, or demeaning is uh, that person has done is posted on a social media and then it gets back to the boss and, um, and you know, these things never leave the web. So I would just say, monitor your reputation, monitor what you put out there on social media. If you don't like it, try to get it down. Uh, but, but just remember that once something happens that labels you as a certain kind of person, mm-hmm. it's very, very hard to go back and change that. So protect your reputation and be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a really great advice. And to your point, you know, social media is such a, common thing that maybe people don't realize that it's still very impactful to what you do in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's, so, you know, there's one other point about social media and this just applies to even basic email. Mm-hmm. I can write an email to you saying something that I think I understand what I'm saying. I think you should be. You read it and interpret it a whole different, a totally different way. Mm-hmm. We pick up the phone and talk about it. We both agree on it. But just looking at our emails, we don't. So you never know when you put something on social media, how it's going to be interpreted by another person. So mm-hmm. you, it's not just putting it out there. It's that interpretation link. Mm-hmm. Of everyone thinks differently. Everyone's experiences in life have been differently. So what you say to me, what you mean is might be different from what I mean culturally and everything else. So that that's another reason I would caution social media. That's a great reminder because I think, you know, we, what do they say? Social media is the perfect, um, you know, avenue to speak what you want because you're not in front of the person. Right. So you can say whatever right. you want to say then. Exactly. So that's, that's a really great reminder of, hey, you might put something and you think it's not offensive by any way, but it yes. could be interpreted differently. So how many boards do you currently sit on? Advisory boards and... <laughs> well, I sit on two um, uh, private company boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a medical device board called Clearcut Medical in, in Tel Aviv, Israel. And one is here in Mountain View, California called Prime Genomics. And then um, I do, do sit on the Marine Humane Nonprofit Board and manage their investment committee uh, and their budget, manage their finance committee for them. And so I have one more year on this. So I'm starting to look for what's my next nonprofit board, uh, do something different that I'm interested in. So, Well, that's actually leading to my next question. What is um, What would you like to do next? Elsie, what's the future hold for you? <laughs> You know, that that's a good question. I've had several careers and turns. I mean, I was, uh, my first degree was medical technology, biochemistry. I worked in cancer research. Then I worked in investments for a while. Now I'm working with these venture company, capital companies and uh, I'm perfectly satisfied doing that. I'd, I'd like to be on more private company boards because watching these boards grow and helping them strategize is very fascinating. It, it's a, uh, you know, on the investment side, we, we look at people doing this and we mm-hmm. assess how well they're doing it. Do we want to invest with them? But actually being on the team that's doing it mm-hmm. is a different side of the table and it's very exciting. Is there a board or an organization that both, it could either be a for-profit or non-profit that we, you would love to sit on or... Um, that, you know, maybe it's not yet created, but you would like to see? (laughs) 
Um, no, I mean, I, I think if, if I had my absolute wish journey, it would be Amazon because I'm so fascinated. <laughs> I mean, it's never going to happen, but it's fascinating to watch how that company has evolved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're into grocery stores, the mm-hmm. next step's going to be transportation, and they're already there to some degree. And it's just like, what is the next uh, horizon or frontier for Amazon? And are they going to get broken up? I mean, to be on that board would be very interesting strategically. Mm-hmm. See, they've moved from such a small company and they've mm-hmm. become this behemoth. What's the next step for companies like that? <laughs> and so I think that would be very interesting from, from a large company point of view. Oh, I love that. And I think everybody has Amazon on their phone. So. <laughs> Well, change the topic a little bit, just gearing, getting to know you some more. What do you what do you like to do in your spare time? You're super busy. You you have your international board in Israel, which I still can't believe. <laughs> so what do, when you do have free time, what do you love to do? Um, well, I uh, I'm a biker. I like to ride my bike. And I also uh, have two dogs. My husband and I have two hound dogs. And so we spend a lot of time with the dogs out, you know, walking in the fields. We have a couple of acres at our property. And so we spend a lot of time with the dogs, uh, waiting on them, serving them. uh, (laughs) You know, biking, hiking, spending time with my friends. And obviously we love to travel. Uh, I've been to all the continents and I think the last count was 82 or 83 countries. That's wow. been put on hold somewhat, mm-hmm. but we do have some travel plans for next year. So I would say, you know, my biggest, uh, I, I always said I worked to travel, you know, I, <laughs> I just, that was my passion in life and I was able to achieve a lot of that through my work. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just very interested in different cultures, different financial systems, how, how things work in other countries. Oh, I love that. I, I'm not there at all with you with the travel. I maybe two. I need to add to my list. Okay. <laughs> um, and my final question before I let you go, I know you have a busy day, uh, afternoon still. Who inspires you and why? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, there's no, like, I mean, theoretically, I would say Warren Buffett because at Techman Grossman, my last uh, job, uh, Techman Grossman uh, Asset Management, we, uh, one of my bosses, Dan Grossman, worked for Warren Buffett and we had a very similar style of investment management to Buffett. But, um, you know, that's, that's like a canned answer. I would say, you know, looking back, what inspired me over my career is I had three different mentors. Mm. They were all men and uh, they all came along at different points in my career. And they would tell me things about myself that I'd say, oh, you are so wrong. I could never do that. <laughs> like and what? then it turned out that I was quite successful doing that. But mm. they pushed me in those directions that I would have never looked so I would encourage people to get a mentor, a man or a woman. I mean, I, when I talk to women groups, they say, you know, I, I want you to be my mentor. And I'm like, I can help you, but you need to go get a man also because you need a balance of mentors. And so I, I would say I'm still inspired by those men because I, it, it inspires me to give back because I know how much they help me. I would not be where I am today had I not met those three people through they were money managers that called on me when I was a chief investment officer or one was a boss that I had. And so I I would encourage people to get a mentor 
and hopefully they'll get a good mentor and be inspired by that. That's a, I would have never guessed, um, you know, saying that you had three male mentors, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. that's usually not what people respond. So that's great to hear and great advice too. So, well, Elsie, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for joining us for our Meet a Member podcast. It was so great talking to you. Um, you know, and I know for sure we're going to be seeing you more in the future. So thank you again for your time. Sure. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Please stay tuned for more episodes of this podcast featured every fourth Tuesday in our weekly newsletters and through the CFA Society San Francisco podcast channel available through most major podcast apps.